Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Captain Corey and Chancellor Emily Gowron. Excellent! Admiral. Admiral Corey, you definitely got the paperwork by now. I checked the uh, the shipping code, and it did show up at your house last week. Uh, according to Starfleet regulations, uh, there's a two-month um, freeze on title changes in intergalactic podcasts. So it's just going to take a, a month or two okay. for that to for that to catch up. But for you. but you realize from my point. Wait of a view, minute. We we are. We are an intergalactic podcast. We're going outside our galaxy with this. I think he meant intragalactic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, all I'm saying is from my point of view, I see a bunch of admirals who are like 110 or 115 years old, and they're just picking up a sweet pension at a desk job, and I think it's time to let some young people in. But you know what? I understand your bullshit regulations. I'm sorry. Hey, this is this is what Starfleet's like. I know. I know you you play by your own rules as a captain there, Corey. But as a as a Federation podcast, we have to adhere to certain regulations. So okay, fine, whatever. As they say, the gears of bureaucracy grind slowly. And so does this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get onto our episode today. We have a double stuffed episode for everyone today. Uh, we are reviewing the Menagerie part one and two. Yeah, this is an interesting episode. I'll I'll go ahead and and wait, wait. What is a Menagerie? Like, what does that word mean? Uh, I think it's French. It's like I don't, a zoo. Emily might know. Like a. It's z- like a zoo. Like a zoo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. We just I couldn't be bothered to look that up over the past week. <laughs> I have a few, as a cue, I have a few menageries myself. Disgusting. Nobody wants to hear about your porn collection, Clint. <laughs> this podcast is kind of a menagerie, if you think about it. Like, we can't leave. <laughs> ever. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> uh, and the key to, to keeping a menagerie is to keep your your captives fed. I can't tell you how many menageries I've had to restart because I forgot to... feed people i mean basically we're all it we're still in quarantine lockdown social distancing we're all in menageries of one wherein we are both the animals on display and the zookeepers Ooh, how poetic emily being a zookeeper is the worst i mean not only do i have to think about feeding myself but i have to clean myself and provide mental stimulation so this is just horrible and i have i am the animal that i'm doing this for Yeah, so let's get into the episode. All right, so in this episode, Spock kidnaps his previous captain and takes him onto a planet of brain perverts <laughs> so he can live a, a normal life. En route, we have a fun little court-martial. And I don't know how to say this, but the previous captain is Christopher Pike, and he's been crippled. Is that a bad term? I mean, he's basically unable to move and he can only communicate by beeping, basically. Wait a second. Hold on. We saw this episode. What the H? 
<laughs> What's going on this here? Is a, like a, this is like a clip show, but if the clip was just one other episode of, of the show. That's exactly, exactly what it is. Uh, this, this is a bottle episode, if ever there was one. There is a little framing around it, but otherwise, yes, it is basically the same as the first pilot. Yeah. So the Menagerie is a two-part episode which actually takes footage from the pilot episode, The Cage. Back in the day, in the 60s, The Cage wasn't aired. So this was them taking that old footage and then repurposing it so that they could create a new episode out of it. And if, and if I can just bring a, a hot IMDb quote to that really quick. like So what, what happened was that they had uh, they got halfway through this season because we're, we're on episode 13 now and they still had 15 more to make. And they were running out of money and time was short. So to to save resources, they decided to just repurpose the first one. And here's your hot take. So one of the producers convinced Gene Roddenberry to write a two-part episode utilizing the first pilot because they ran out of scripts in the middle of the first episode and had to shut down production otherwise. Roddenberry called it an envelope episode. Okay. And he, he wrote it himself in three or four days. I think this is one of the... Like, like few where he has the only writing credentials for the episode. Oh, and wow. afterwards, he was like praised for kind of salvaging this useless pilot that they couldn't air because it didn't have any of the original cast members except for Spock and kind of creating a frame device around it to actually make an episode that they could use in their new TV show. So I had two reactions. One was while I was watching it. And while I was watching it, this was actually pretty entertaining. There was a lot of things that were good. I went right to the two-parter, but there are two big sticking points for me at the end when you're thinking about it. And one is that if you've watched the pilot and then you watch this, it's, yeah, it's a clip show and they change the ending, which is super fucking weird. But if you had never seen that pilot, it's, it's all right. It's interesting. I like it. Yeah, like if you can completely divorce yourself from seeing that one and just thinking like, wow, they put a lot of work into this episode. Well, like mm-hmm. two two different casts and a and a intrigue story with Spock and then a, a, a another like mystery on a planet. And and so I think I think like it really does like have legs. It it, it does work pretty well as an episode, but because we just watched this one a couple of months ago, it's like, "Ah, oh, come on, you lazy lazy bones." <laughs> This is one thing I wanted to bring up to you guys, and I just want to mention to our listeners, or maybe just listener, I don't know. But anyway, we did talk about The Cage. That was our first episode we've ever done, so we're not going to touch too much on the story within a story today, because we've already reviewed that, and I don't think we have too much more to say about it. We'll have a couple more things. But yeah, go back and, and listen to that episode. It's the first one. So, of course, it's a little rough, um, but probably no rougher than these episodes are now. So I, I had some questions, and maybe this will prove to be an easy thing to wrap up, and maybe it can be a talking point. But I felt like there were some scenes from the cage that were extended, or like we saw things that weren't in that episode. Yeah, I think okay. it was a little slight. It was definitely altered. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they altered it one because I don't think they could just have that whole episode. You know, they couldn't get every scene up there. So there were things that were definitely like truncated a little bit and then told a little bit differently. I felt like it was a little bit slicker and a little bit faster. 
So that's what I liked about it. I knew they cut a lot out, and I knew that they were using, like, different beats. Like, it, the plot of that story within a story went differently. But there were a couple scenes that I felt were extended. Like, you saw a little bit more dialogue in one bit and a little bit less in another. Um, and the aliens' dialogue, I felt, was different. Which, to, to the betterment, if I'm not wrong. But I, I thought it worked a lot better. If they did extend it, I I am like a hundred percent sure they did not do any reshoots. I think it was just like mm-hmm. uh, footage mm-hmm. that they might not have used, because the guy that plays Pike, uh, his name's Jeffrey Hunter. Like at the time, he was uh, he was thinking that his career was going to take him to be a, an A lister. I mean, I haven't looked at like what he did. He might have had a successful career, uh, but he did not come back and record for this episode. And I don't know. You guys probably don't want any hot goss about him on the back of the set. So just go ahead and skip over me. No, let's hear it. No, I want, I hot, want goss. hot goss. Okay, let's get some goss. hot goss. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so in, in William Shatner's book, he said that Jeffrey Hunter, the guy that plays Pike, his wife was a constant irritant to the production staff with never-ending demands for how Hunter was to be handled and treated. And so, like, I guess the relationship was so bad that that she was like convinced that he was going to become a movie star and that he needed to be like pampered on set. So they just decided to not bring him back. They didn't want to have anything to do with him or his wife. Uh, But that's not what they told him. They told him that like, they just couldn't offer the, to extend the contract because yeah, they were going in a different direction with the show. Mm, Interesting. That is interesting. Cause you told me, I think you said in an earlier one, Clint, that uh, Jeffrey Archer thought that like the whole space concept was stupid and, he didn't want to come back because he's like, I'm going to blow up big. Jeffrey Hunter. Yeah, I think Corey's the one who said that. Oh, he's, okay. He does a lot of great research for a show. That sounded sarcastic, but I'm not being sarcastic. Also, on another note of less related hot goss, William Shatner has been married four times. Oh, my God. Does not, does not surprise me. <laughs> you guys see Silicon Valley? That guy fucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the, the last little fun fact about uh, Pike is that the person that we see in the wheel, it's not a wheelchair, it is a wheel tank uh, that <laughs> that Pike has become entombed in because his body don't work no more, is a completely different actor because they didn't want Jeffrey Hunter back for it. They had it, his, apparently his like makeup took five hours and they had to bleach his hair and all that. And I will, I was going to, I mean, hmm. we're probably going to do like a step-by-step of the the this episode because it's extremely brief because the rest of it's just the pilot i thought that the his makeup was really cool like he looked he looked like he'd had a rough day he looks bad beep and by beep i mean yes but yeah no i thought his his makeup looked great i yeah i will say though i want to talk about this a little bit more in depth because one they say that pike had some accident rescuing people off of a ship and he's got this face that's all it was children he was rescuing children which i guess for you isn't that like (laughs) any more heroic than rescuing normal people but go on well children are smaller so it's probably easier to rescue children than it is to rescue (laughs) adults so yeah and he's in this like he's essentially i guess a quadriplegic and he's in like a box that goes from like his shoulders down And he's always just sitting in a room, staring out a window, and they're like, his mind is as active as ever. You know, he thinks as much as you or I, but all he can do is, you know, beep boop. Yes, one beep for yes, two beeps for no. 
and they're like, yeah, his life, it just sucks. It's done with. And I want to pause here for a moment and say, this is a perfect example of like what people call ableism or like racism towards people that are disabled or differently abled. Because one, like this is a really good example of like the person's body being different is not the problem. It's the environment around them that makes them disabled. Even if this was the only technology they had available in the future, all they have to do is hold up a fucking alphabet and Pike can say yes or no as somebody points at a letter and he can spell things out. Or he could tap in. Oh, the Count of Monte Cristo style. Yeah, or he could like tap out Morse code and somebody could translate it. And that's what that's what I was thinking. I'm like, he doesn't know Morse code. He can't do that. Morse code absolutely exists in this universe. And so it's it's a really good example of like, the problem isn't Pike's body. The problem is everyone around him who refuses to adapt or change and says that your body is a problem. Uh, and it's. It's really disheartening because I want to see, like, a more progressive attitude. You know, I want to see them being like, he has a happy life, even though it's different than ours. Or, you know, he's he's an active person. I mean, they don't treat him like he's a rug, but they definitely, uh, they have some damaging attitudes. I think that they gave him, so they, the language that they gave him was one beep for yes, two beeps for no, and that's it. And I would have, I would have. Let's meet. Let's meet you halfway here. I would say three beeps for I have to take a shit. You know, like I have to. Four beeps means no, please give me some water. But yeah, they they just gave him the chair. Does that all for him? Yeah, that's why it's so thick. Oh, you gross! Think it does. Ew, is that really what it is, or are you just saying that off your off the cuff? I'm just saying that off the cuff. But I don't know. It's a why else have a big tank? You know, wheelchair if it's not gonna take care of your waist and. And, you know, I, I mean, he probably has like a... And recycle it for nutrients into your bloodstream. Exactly. I totally agree. Do you guys want to start out at the beginning of this episode and then jump to the point where the frame starts? Because it's not going to be that yeah. much. And I just want to say that I really liked the way this episode started. It really started off really strong mm-hmm. where they beam down to, what was it? Space Space 11. Something like Star that. Starbase 11. Space base. This isn't <laughs> yeah. Galaxy Quest, Clint. Starbase 11. It's on a planet. And it's cool because we actually get some scenery, right, of a different planet. Oh, and it's it's beautiful. And I I made a note of this. Like, it's probably the restoration. But everything is this really beautiful violet purple color. And when they're on the planet, the light has this purple tinge. And it's... It is great world building or scenery. It's really pretty and intriguing. I loved it. Yeah, and we actually get. I th- I thought that uh, just real quick. I thought it was interesting that that it was a planet because, like in my imagination, star bases were always uh, like orbital stations and kind of more austere and Spartan. But this was like a planet colony mm-hmm. on a beautiful planet. Yeah, I really like that. We got to see finally a little, you know, more of this world that's just not like a mining colony or like an abandoned planet or all the aliens on it, you know, died a thousand years ago. That's mostly what we've seen so far. So it's great to see a star base that's like vibrant and there's people on it. There's one thing that I could not take my eyes off of. And it is so weird because I've, I have never seen Star Trek do this and maybe it happens more in the OS, but in all the Star Treks, they have the little Star Trek symbol on their uniform But here, all the people that work on this starbase have this, like, 
chrysanthemum brooch instead of the Star Trek symbol that everybody knows. And it was, I could not take my eyes off of it. Like, I was just like, what are they wearing? Obviously, they get a different insignia because they're stationed somewhere else. But it was a neat little, like, I wish they kept that device and, and used it more. While, while you're talking about that, I, I was going to say that at the very end of the second part, we see everybody, like, in their courtroom dress like while they're doing the spock's Mm court-martial um and that the outfits that they have they have like the same thing where they don't have like an insignia it's almost like they have like a merit badge Mm -hmm. but it's in like a diamond formation and all of the patches are like really pretty like they almost look like jewels it was it's it was very ostentatious they're like gold and purples and teals Oh, that's cool. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I absolutely noticed it. It looked like a real productive arts and crafts hour <laughs> that produced those. I loved it. So yeah, continuing on the story, the Enterprise, they got a transmission to report to the Starbase. The Starbase said, you're crazy. We never sent that. We never sent that message. And then Kirk says, oh, you must be gaslighting us. Because of course you sent that message. So there's a lot of hemming and hawing. And it turns out it's all an elaborate ruse by by Spock to get Pike off the planet onto the Enterprise and then get the Enterprise going towards this, you know, this forbidden planet. It's the only planet in the whole universe that's forbidden, but it's Talos 4. I don't even know why it was forbidden looking at what happened last time, but it's Talos 4 and Kirk or Spock is is heading there to give give Pike a better life. Is there anything else, Corey, that you think needs mentioning? Yeah, I, well, I wanted to do because when when um, Spock Spock you, you can tell like if there's going to be a character episode because they're going to get a lot of reaction shots. They're going to get more lines at this head of the episode, and that's the case for Spock here. Spock is doing something shady, and he's lying about why the Enterprise was sent there because. As Kirk and the head of the Starbase talk about, they're like, Spock would have been the only one to hear this message. You didn't verify it. And he told you to come here. We didn't send a message. So you can tell this is like a Spock-centered episode. And that got me thinking, what do you guys think? And let's take TNG as an example because we haven't seen TOS. And we're going to play a little bit of a game here. What do you got? Which character in TNG do you guys think had the most episodes that were like just about that character? Like you have a Picard episode or you have a Geordi episode or a Crusher episode. And so I just wanted to see what you guys thought. We'll do pro- Maybe we'll do like the top five here. I think Data. I almost want to say Worf. Well, he okay. has like a whole, like uh, at the beginning, is like around season three, there's a lot about him, but then it, it tapers off. Don't second guess my choice, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, this is not, this podcast is not a democracy. You guys are both not correct. Well, my second guess would have been Picard. Well, in this list, it says Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> what? But I think I'm looking at the wrong page. Hold on. Okay. What was your first guess? Data. Who got... Let's change the question to this. Who got the most FaceTime in TNG? I mean, it wasn't... It wasn't John Luke Picard. It was Picard. Yeah. It was Picard. Yeah, he has the most okay. FaceTime. Yeah. Who's, who's number two, do you yeah, think? Yeah, definitely most FaceTime. For FaceTime? Yeah. Is it... Shorty or Data would be my yeah. guess. It's Riker. It's Riker. Okay. Number three. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Data for three. Data. Number four. There we go. There's my boy. Jordy. Sure, he's not on this list. He's not on it. Okay. What about <laughs> Crusher? Crusher. And then number five. 
Worf. Wait, Worf isn't on this list either. Wait, no, it's <laughs> Troy's number five. Worf's at the very bottom. Wait, I don't believe this list at all. Uh, yeah. And that's that's the end of the game. Okay. <laughs> there there are so many episodes of TNG where Worf doesn't appear at all. Like not even in the background. That's true. He's a, but he's like under Tasha Yar on this shitty list that I have in front of me. But I he does have a lot of episodes that center around him. Yeah, what, how would he be under Tasha Yar? That's crazy. So we can tell that this is going to be a Spock episode, <laughs> segueing back to what we're talking about. And we haven't seen a lot of episodes that weren't Kirk episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even think, I, I, I can't think of any. Everyone's were... been a Kirk episode. Even the the salt monster one, you could almost say that was a Bones episode, but like he's asleep for half mm. of it. So yeah. I, I don't know. I guess you could say it. It's just not a very well executed bones episode i i would argue that miri is an ensemble episode but yeah otherwise it's all kirk and i'm curious to see how many more character episodes we have coming up here while we're still at the starbase on this story i wanted to talk about the head of the starbase what's his name admiral no he's a commodore are you telling me you don't know one of your fellow admirals Corey? well apparently i'm not an admiral he's not he's not an admiral (laughs) he's a commodore no one's an admiral. Commodore. Yeah, Commodore Mendez. <laughs> okay, Commodore Mendez. I wanted to talk about his body, if you guys will uh, oblige me. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I think so sexual. <laughs> so I think that this guy has the perfect 1960s male body because he has what I would call the George Costanza body, where he's not he's not chubby. You wouldn't you would never call him chubby. He's you call him stocky puffed out Uh he's balding he has a a real characteristic face you know big bulbous nose uh shiny top of his head but he has like a tonsure almost uh you think he might have a little bit of a belly but you're not sure and yeah he's just short and pretty muscular he has the like george costanza body and i think that that's like every 1960s male (laughs) and i dare you to prove me otherwise or as a drag queen on rupaul's drag race called it a hog body (laughs) (laughs) Did you notice he was leaning over stuff a lot? Like, I noticed him leaning a lot. There was one time where he did a really dramatic lean to call someone. And then when they're in the shuttlecraft, he's also, like, leaning over the the console and stuff. You're right. Maybe he has a bad back. That's uh, Jonathan Frakes' business, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Riker, the reason he's always leaning is because, yeah, Jonathan Frakes hurt his back while, like, being employed as a mover. So that's why he's like leaning over stuff or like putting his his feet up on stuff so he can like act without destroying his back. Yeah, he was he was there the same day that Harrison Ford cut his chin as a carpenter and had that characteristic cut across his chin that made him such the dashing rogue that we know him as today. What really? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's interesting. They, I didn't know that. That sounds like a, a fact that you just made up to fuck with me, but I know. I thought <laughs> that's, that's how it was cool. gonna end too. Yeah. In uh, The Last Crusade, they wrote in a scene. It, the movie begins with a young Indiana Jones, and they wrote in a scene where he cuts his chin with the whip. They wrote that in because of Harrison Ford's scar. Mm, interesting. This is where I plug my spinoff podcast about Indiana Jones. <laughs> you don't have one of those. Don't lie to me. Not yet. Don't get me yet. too excited. <laughs> One thing, one thing I liked while they were at the starbase, and so like Spock goes on like a rogue little secret mission while they're at the starbase mm-hmm. to change around some data tapes to send a message to Enterprise that's like impersonating uh, the like 
the head of the starbase to be like, you have to leave for Talos for immediately. Or they, they don't even say that. He just like follow the pre-programmed uh, instructions uh, mm. enterprise. Yeah. And so yeah. Spock, like he even like Vulcan neck pinches somebody to like mm. get this, this fraud message to the enterprise to give them false orders to leave orbit and go to this planet. And then he ditches Kirk on the plan on, on the star base and assumes control of the ship. And it's all real shady and we don't know why he's doing it. And it's like a cool scene of intrigue. And I just want to say with like all that, I thought that was really cool that like, even though Kirk and Spock are pretty tight, the second Kirk finds out that the enterprise left, he immediately just like, he immediately knows what's up and he's like, fucking spock like like he he put it all together and he he did not try and find another reason like he immediately suspected spock after he put all the puzzle pieces together and like mccoy was like blind to it even though mccoy's always an asshole to spock he was like no spock would never do this well it was the only logical conclusion that it was spock right spock must have been a college dj at starfleet academy because he really knew how to work that that all those tapes (laughs) Clint's terrible joke aside, I loved the, like, I I definitely agree this is a Spock episode, but the scenes with Kirk and Spock were so great because you could see the act, like, you could see the friendship between those two characters while at the same time the suspicion and, like, they're in conflict and it's sort of the conflict between them and it's their personal and professional relationships warring. It was great. It was excellent tension. Wonderful to watch. And I really liked the scene of Bones defending Spock. Or maybe he was just mm-hmm. being racist again and being like, Vulcans can't lie. This is impossible. But it seems like he was really standing up for Spock's character and who he was. And he, even though he you know, really gives Spock a hard time when push comes to shove, he's really behind Spock. So I thought that was a cool moment of characterization for Bones. I I love that too, because this whole time that we've been watching this, I've been like, why does Bones hate Spock? But in this, the, that scene, when he realizes that Spock has betrayed them, he looks so heartbroken and shocked. And it really is like, yeah, I give you a hard time, but you're one of us. No, you were one of us. How could you betray us? It was, yeah, it's great. And then two later, it's revealed that, you know, Spock has committed mutiny or treason or whatever. And so he kind of calls for himself to be arrested and tells McCoy that he has to arrest Spock. And McCoy is just like dumbfounded. It's just like, how could mm-hmm. this happen? And I like how he's he asked Spock. He's like, will confining you to your quarters be enough? And then Spock says, yes, I'm not gonna put up a fight or anything so i thought that was a a funny little moment too spock is such a cool cucumber this whole time even when he's like facing a court martial and they're like you're gonna be put to death you know all this stuff is gonna happen he's just like whatever and i think that that really heightened the tension like he wasn't fighting it you wanted him to like defend himself and he was just like look, either you're going to get with the program or you're not, but I, you know, I hope you do. Uh, I'd like to talk about Spock's motivation here. And just the one thing to back up to say is that Spock took the, the, the injured Captain Pike, uh, the quadriplegia can't talk Captain Pike aboard the Enterprise with him. And they're zooming off to Talos for, for unknown reasons at the time. You don't go to Talos for anyone that goes near it. You, It's the death penalty. It's, as they said in the episode, the only living death penalty or the only living penalty crime where like you get death for doing it 
Yeah, except there was a line that said it's the only death penalty we have on the books is if someone goes to Talos IV. But then later they tell Spock that the penalty for mutiny is death. I'm like, you fucking liars. <laughs> We're making this up as we go. I I want to talk motivation. We find out his motivation at the very, very end. I don't think that unless you guys want to keep it a surprise, no. I think it's important to say like right Spoil now, like it. why is Spock doing this? Uh, so the re- the reason he's doing it is because Pike had an adventure on Talos Four, and he, they discovered that there are beings there that can give you like a holographic life where you can just live in a fantasy of your own. Pike refused that the first time around thirteen years ago, but but Spock is taking him back now because his body is broken and he wants Pike to have a good life. Okay, so that's the motivation. I, why like it doesn't make i i don't understand why spock would do this like why he has this um why he has this loyalty to this captain he had 13 years ago surely he's had many people die in the line of duty or suffer grave injuries and i just do not understand why he would one destroy his own career two put every single person on the enterprise in jeopardy of getting killed and then three, destroy the career of his captain, of, of of Kirk, like, and why he won't tell anybody anything. Like, it's just, it's so weird. And I know they had to fit a frame episode in here, but I don't know why Spock wasn't just like, hey, we got to do this thing because of this. Because he, he was going to tell them anyway, right? Like, why did he wait to the end? Well, for TV suspense, but. I actually loved it, except I'm going to put an asterisk on that that I'll talk about at the end. Like, it, I think what it showed was that Spock was it was willing to sacrifice himself for someone else it's it's painting spock as a noble character uh which i did enjoy and i thought was some good character development for him but my asterisk is again this idea and it's a perfect example like when these discussions come up in real life is disabled people have full lives and they don't need to be like fixed or put in a fantasy body to have a full fulfilling life yet that's what this plot is showing right it's better for pike to live in a literal fantasy that isn't real than for him to live his real life in his body so that's my asterisk of what i didn't like about it well also i mean to another and we've talked about this in the the season or the episode before he is willing to leave vena on the planet before because she's just old and kind of ugly and so yeah. it's better for her to live without any humans being having the illusion of beauty than going and, you know, being rescued and joining the rest of humanity as as an old lady. Corey, to your other point about Spock's subterfuge, it goes back to something that Clint says about sitcoms all the time is like, if these people just communicated this would wrap up in two minutes. And I maybe this is one of those things that could be fixed with a line of dialogue where Spock says something like, well, if I told you ahead of time, would you have let me go? And they're just like, no, we wouldn't. He's like, well, then that's why I was sneaking. Well, that's, I mean, he said that at the end of the second episode where Kirk is like, you could have just come to me and I would have helped you. And Spock said, I couldn't do that. I couldn't ask you to put your life on the line. Like me putting my life, you know, putting my life in danger was enough. I'm not going to ask you. Spock knew that if he told Kirk about this, Kirk would, of course, risk his life to help out Spock. 
but Spock isn't going to ask him to risk his life for for his. But captain. there's there's no consequences for Spock, which tells me that he could have done this officially. Like he and Pike could have presented this; it could have gone up the chain of command. They could have gotten an exception. There was no real need for sneakiness, unless. You know, Kirk says something like, I would have helped you, but you're right. They never would have approved this or something. Well, no, you are right, Emily, because it is resolved in like two seconds at the end of the episode. It's kind of hand waved away. And I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was pretty dumb, but they were just like, oh, we're back in, you know, communication with the Starfleet. And they're like, oh, well, Pike is so important to the history of space travel that we'll just hand wave away this death penalty and just do whatever you want, Kirk. Just, like, do whatever you think is best. And then that's it. And I'm yeah. just like, man, you guys made such a big deal about how it's a forbidden planet. And now you're just going to be like, lol, never mind. Do whatever you want. The whole drama and the stakes of the episode are very inflated. And and it's, it is kind of, like, disappointing. And it just falls apart at the end. Yeah, I like, I'm not, I don't really want to pick apart a, an episode that shouldn't have existed you know they ran out of money and then they mm-hmm. wrote it in four days like there's gonna be some flaws in it i'm just wondering like why spock would make it so that every single member of the enterprise would die right <laughs> because the, the the penalty is death for even going near this planet and every person on the ship would be culpable for that well according to the episode i think he was trying that's why he was so sneaky and so underhanded and trying to trick everyone well yeah he fabricated the orders and programmed something into the computer so that even the navigator wouldn't be court-martialed or he the navigator did nothing nobody did anything except spock and then there was one part where they were like if you disable the computer program the life support system will die like he really did set it up so that no one else would get in trouble but him yeah acceptable answer (laughs) <laughs> but I I do think this is something that bothers me about TV shows also on the line with like when shows about cops or something break chain of custody like chain of custody is important it has to exist for a certain reason and I know I've said this before in this podcast but like mutiny is punishable by death because on a ship in battle you have to obey orders even if the orders are wrong you have to obey them or the whole system falls apart and so it doesn't really matter if you rebelled for a good reason or a bad reason. It's the act of rebelling itself, which is abhorrent and weird and doesn't seem like something that would work, but that's how it works. And so whenever there are these like paramilitary things where they rebel, but then there's no consequences, I'm just like, that is absolutely not, no. There's a, there's a cool book called, uh, I think it's How the British Ruled the Waves. And it, it charts like the history of the British Empire from a ragtag merchant mm-hmm. and pirate nation in the in the 1500s and how they were basically just like marauders and pirates and took over the Spanish galleons and took their gold and very slowly built up to becoming like the, the fleet that they were, you know, in the 19th century. But it just talks about how how they kind of came up with uh, the, the system of like the captain is the ultimate authority on a ship and mutiny is dealt with. And there's like mutiny on the bounty and those famous stories, Francis Drake, but how mutiny is dealt with with like death because you cannot afford to have anything outside of complete authority when you're you know thousands of miles away from home mm-hmm. anyway it's just sort of related it's an interesting book and they've touched on that yeah. in the episode where kirk gets duplicated and he's unable to be the supreme authority that he needs to be so that's a big yeah. question we did talk about that a lot in that episode 
So getting back to the, uh, just so we can finish out this part of the episode, because it's literally like the first three quarters, then we start the the, the cage. Um, Kirk has a cool little trick that he does where he, he's been abandoned on Starbase 11 um, with the Commodore, and but his idea is he's going to get in a shuttlecraft and he's just going to chase the Enterprise, even though he's not as fast. The Enterprise will pick up that he's chasing them, and they'll also know that his shuttlecraft is about to run out of fuel uh, because he's he's basically doing like a one-way mission, and he anticipates that Spock will stop uh, and stop this madness and, and come grab his captain before they, they die on this shuttlecraft. So I, th- I thought that was kind of a cool... A, a cool maneuver that Kirk pulled yeah, off. I like yeah. that too. And it shows again, that friendship where Kirk is like, Spock is not going to let us die out here. He's like, I don't know what Spock's doing right now, but I know he's not going to let me die for no reason. So that, yeah, that's a great friendship building moment too. And all that's really left in it is when Spock realizes that Kirk's about to be aboard. As we said, McCoy arrests him uh, begrudgingly. And then they start the court martial there's a really cheesy moment in the court martial scene in the sequence where uh, the Commodore is like, we can't give Spock a court martial. You need three people that are of a high enough rank uh, above the rank of captain. And there's only you and me on this ship, Kirk. So we can't do a court martial. We have to fucking execute him now. I don't, I don't know what the alternative <laughs> was. And then Spock is like, well, actually there is a third person of captain rank. And then they all look at uh, Pike. What's his name? Pike. And, it, and, and there, and yeah. then Kirk whispers to the Commodore. He's like, he still has the rank of captain. And the Commodore is like, we couldn't, we couldn't take it away from him. We didn't have, we didn't want to do that to him. He's already had it rough enough. Yeah, we didn't have the heart. I mean, that's an that's another good example of like Pike is an adult. You can have a discussion with him about his career. You don't need to treat him like a child. We're like, well, here has your honorary title, but then be surprised when he wants to like function at that title. Well, I don't think Pike, though, he's not like, he's not on a crusade to be like, hey, people in tank wheelchairs are just as capable. <laughs> I think he's happy enough to like, you know, just be sad and ride in his little wheelchair. So I think he's being pushed I mean, a lot. maybe he is, maybe he isn't. We don't know because all we get are yes and no's because nobody thought to hold up a goddamn piece of poster board with an alphabet on it. Beep. So then we start the court martial, um, which is basically the people in the courtroom watching the first episode of Star Trek. Now, let's bring this up, which is, I don't know why the fuck they went in this direction, but they are literally watching the first episode and it starts off with a cinematic sweep, an edited cinematic sweep from the outside the hull of the ship that goes through the ship, through the top, and then centers right into the bridge, uh, just as you would film an episode. Now, Kirk goes up to Pike and he's like, wait a second, is this really you guys that we're seeing? And Pike's like, yeah. And Spock says, yeah, so this isn't like a, like security cameras or anything. You're really watching a crazy edited together sequence of like third person cuts and, and zoom ins and stuff. This has all yeah. been arranged and I'm not going to tell you about it until we're all done watching it. So the reason is we're just watching the pilot. The, the mysterious reason is because the Telosians have fucking ron howard on their crew and they are 
making an illusion to explain to the the people at the court why Spock is innocent, but they have decided to dress it up in full CGI and and cuts and blocking and and you know whatever techniques are used to to craft an, an episode of a television show. I love that in story that they have to justify the like production quality of the flashback so that they can just be like, okay, 60s audience, this is why this is so fancy. Probably because they wouldn't suspend their belief otherwise. So I thought that they had to like do something to justify that whole thing. This for me is a perfect example of what I meant by like my experience watching this versus afterwards is completely different because while I was watching it, I had the same reaction as you, Corey. I was like, why didn't they just do a Wayne's world and Spock's like, this is how it happened. And then they fade and we understand that he's telling them the story. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But how it ends, the Telosians are like, not only have we given you the illusion of watching this, we've also illusioned the Commodore and then he disappears. And I actually thought that was a really neat little trick because that's how real the illusions are. Nobody ever thought that the Commodore mm-hmm. was fake. So presumably that means that Pike is not going to be having an incomplete illusion of full, what they call him, they called him something really creepy at the beginning, of being a big, handsome man again. Uh, he's going to really feel like that. I loved that twist. I did not see it coming, but I was like, oh, damn, the Commodore's fake. I, I loved it, <laughs> loved too. That, that, that I was loved so it. great. I thought it was stupid, and here's why. Because <laughs> if the Telosians have this ability to just project illusions all the way to like Federation space, that is so like narrative breaking, where they can just project their minds anywhere they want at all times. Like that is so stupid and dangerous. But it's even stupider because they could have just had a hologram up here in front of like the head of Starfleet saying, hey, we really like Pike. Sorry about all the stuff that happened 13 years ago. We'd be glad to take him back for you now. But then we go through all this bullshit about like Spock's trick (laughs) when they had the ability to just flip the switch whenever they wanted and just explain this. Like like, there there are no limits to their powers. No, there's there's a lot of artificial drama. I agree with you, Corey. But but like ultimately, like I agree with you, Emily. Like this this could have just been like Spock saying, "Well, it all started 13 years ago," and actually, the episode could have probably benefited from having Spock narrate things, so they wouldn't have to do so much exposition of setting up characters yeah. and and why they're there. Like just having Spock as the unreliable narrator would have been an interesting thing. So, did you guys notice anything different from the original to this? It's a little bit more truncated. Um, I felt Vina's voice was breathier i don't know if that's true or not but it sounded you just notice it after i complain (laughs) (laughs) but it sounded breathier in this episode than than the previous one but i think that's just my brain um any other differences that you guys spotted or want to comment on so i thought there were a couple bits that were maybe they just cut stuff out but i thought maybe they were longer the humans seem a lot smarter in this one. Pike figures stuff out. He has conversations with the Telosians that are reasonable and logical. He's very clever. 
Yeah, like Pike is clever and their conversations are like an equal exchange of like, well, here's what we're doing. Well, here's what I don't want to do it. They they seem like intellectual equals. And I remembered watching this episode and we complained about how Pike was just like angsty and yelling and the aliens didn't explain anything or didn't make any sense. And, and maybe it's that they just cut out fluff, but I do feel like there were a couple scenes that were extended and one of them in one... One of them I remember specifically I wrote down. There's an illusion where Pike is like in, I don't know, like a Taj Mahal situation. And Vina is like this green dancing alien. And some other guy says to Pike, oh, you know, these green dancing aliens, no men can resist. And then Pike does resist her and takes the alien girl to like a cave and is like, we have to get out of here. And she's like, don't you want to feel my boobies? And he's like, no, 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 I don't. They, they, Emily, they call them green animal women slaves. <laughs> yeah. Which is a pet name I have around the house. <laughs> green animal women slaves. <laughs> I think they were trying to justify, you know, trying to be like, these women like to fuck, but they couldn't like do that in the 60s. You they know? couldn't so they just had to say be that, like, yeah. These women are animals. All they want is sex. You know, they're not even like sentient. I don't know. But I don't remember that. I, like, that whole green lady slave was in the original, but I don't remember the side, like, the end where Pike resists her. And I thought that was so great. He looks smart. He's, you know, resisting the illusions because he has this other reality he wants to get back to. And the, the humans just seem so much better than they did in the actual, the cage. No, you're right. I think the part where they go into the cave is we haven't seen before. So it was probably old footage they didn't use and then they put it back. Yeah. So. And I I feel like the very end where the Telosians and Pike are talking on the surface is different as well. Yeah, it's a it's a little bit different. And then in the first one, Vina walks off with a illusion of Pike. And in this one, they have that same scene, but now it's from it's the Enterprise. old Pike. Yeah, and it's it's real Pike. So I thought that was an interesting way to change that up, too. Yeah, I that did bother me, though, because in-universe, this is a plot hole that bothered me, like the way the Spock one bothered you, Corey. Because in the Star Trek universe, Pike really did go to the planet and did have that adventure, even though audiences wouldn't have seen it before. And so in-universe, Vina really did leave with Illusion Pike. So when we beam down New Pike, who is Old Pike, there's two Pikes. Lucky Vina. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they probably just downloaded fake Pike's memories into real Pike. I don't know. Don't think too much about it. I, I'm going to forever now think of a male-male lady threesome is a double pike hey Jesus. and that's why this episode is called the menage a trois right and it also gets the explicit <laughs> the tag the <laughs> okay so for myself uh i picked up just a couple of extra things that i i didn't really think about the first time that we watched this but i guess i couldn't have thought about them um but first i just want to say because i don't think uh, we're not going to talk about the the episode at all the pilot but Really briefly, in a sentence, 13 years ago, Pike gets a distress call, takes the crew to a planet. It's not really a distress call. It's aliens that want to 
take humans and breed them and recreate their 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 population. Whatever. There's a, there's other shit. It doesn't matter. Uh, Pike gets kidnapped and he has to like prove that humanity is not one uh, not a race that should be enslaved. And he gets has a bunch of tests and trials. And then his crew rescues him. All that stuff. The first thing I wanted to say was that. I really liked the doctor, the doctor character. Like I thought he was cool, and I like uh, you know the first, the number one character and the doctor character. I just thought they were great. I really, I really liked them, and I didn't really think about that the first time we watched this. I did think that it was weird though that they called the 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 number one because we don't get a name for her. Pike calls her number one, right? Just like Picard would call Riker number one. But then, mm-hmm. like, ensigns on the crew call her number one as well. So I just thought that that was kind of weird that they didn't even give her any kind of a name at all. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny they didn't give her a name. In She's in Discovery, the, you know, the new Discovery series. Mm-hmm. She, that, that character, they, you know, have a new actress. But they reveal her name, and it's Una. Una. Yeah, her name's Una in... <laughs> in discovery i remember when we watched the cage talking about how much we love that character that she is a great character she's a great number one Mm -hmm. we don't get as much of her in this one but you still definitely get the vibe of her being badass she's got a little bit of janice sass but she's also a boss yeah she's a cool character and i think too like if we would have continued seeing her grow, she was supposed to be like really smart and like really experienced and knows what she's doing really well. Mm -hmm. So it was a bummer that we didn't get to see her character explored more. Hold on. They called her Una was her real name. Like it's not number one. It's numero Una. That's her name. I know, right? That's the joke. (laughs) All right. And so as we're on the subject of number one, I wanted to talk about, I have a hard time with their name, but it's um, Majel Barrett Roddenberry. So we've talked about her before, but we've gotten confused with her. We've confused her with the woman who also plays Janice Rand, which is played by Grace Lee Whitney. And Janice is her favorite, and we love her. Yeah. But this actress, Majel Barrett, she played, like we said, number one. She played also Christine Chapel in the naked time and what little girls are made of in the naked time she hits on spock and in what little girls are made of she's the woman who i guess it's her ex-fiance according to what i've seen but she's the ex-fiance of the crazy android guy and then she also is the voice of the computer in a lot of star treks like in tng and that sort of stuff and then she's also Lox, Loxana Troy. Stop. Yeah, she's Loxana Troy. That's Loxana Troy? Yeah. No. Yeah. She's I think Troy. I had this trivia in our pilot. No. I'm just saying. Yes, you did have that trivia, but then we got confused of like what she played and what Grace Lee Whitney played. So I just wanted to set this, this, the red record straight that we don't think these two women are each other. And then Corey was right, too. She had an affair with Gene Roddenberry and then later married him. Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, affairs aren't awesome, but uh, no. <laughs> no. Cool. Her, her life is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. Maybe affairs are awesome. No, uh, Grace Lee Whitney also uh, was a singer, and she sang Star Trek-related songs in the 70s. Oh, cool. Cool. 
including one called Charlie X, which we hate, and <laughs> one called Mary. I had a couple more things I wanted to bring up about the the frame part of it that we already saw. The first one was that uh, it's crazy seeing Spock again after we're like used to like the clean the clean older Spock because the way he looks in this episode that was supposed to be 13 years ago but was probably filmed the year before but they just didn't have his look down yet he, it looks like his high school picture version of himself because like his hair is all shaggy and his eyebrows are all long and he has like he always has like a goofy smile on because they didn't yeah. they didn't settle on the no emotions thing yet so I just thought it was kind of funny it was like an embarrassing I, I bet Spock watching it you know, in the court martial, he's just like, oh, God. Who's that kid? I thought it was really funny when. <laughs> OK, so imagine this. They're they're in the court martial. They're watching this episode on a screen. And then inside of the episode, it zooms out because we see that the aliens are watching everything on a screen inside of that episode. So inside of the court martial, they're watching a screen inside of a screen. And I just thought just the visual of that was kind of funny. Um, and then my favorite line from the episode was when Pike first lands on the planet and he meets the human survivors. And the first thing that they say to him is, this is Vina. Her parents are dead. Like, apropos of nothing. And I just thought that that was pretty. <laughs> so, anyway, those were all the new things that I got. Um, one of the new things, too, I didn't know last time was they said Vina was an adult when it crashed. I think that's new. Well, was it new? Yeah, because that was something mm -hmm. I didn't catch last time. So, they, you know, at first they made it seem like she was a baby when it crashed. And then she's now the attractive young woman. But I, at least in this episode, they say that she was an adult when it crashed. And then add 18 years to that. And she's a she's an old hag now who just deserves to be on that planet alone. So that was one thing that I didn't catch. I think they're keeping her alive, though. Like, I'm not sure. Because they, they say that they basically put her back together after the crash because she was the only survivor of the original colonists. But they didn't know it. But they've never seen a yeah, human. Yeah, they've never seen a human. So they just, like, Mr. Potato headed her and, like, her head's on her forehead and or her head, her legs on her forehead. And she's, like, all, like, hunchback and stuff. But I think, I feel like, like, they are keeping her alive. And that's why she couldn't leave. Oh, okay. Uh, we joked about this before, but when she said they did a pretty good job for never seeing a human before, like the only maybe her organs are all messed up, like her maybe her heart's in her feet or something like that. But they just gave her a hunchback, so and she has some scars. So I think they did a great job of putting her yeah, together without a guide. That's what I was thinking. I think we joked about that. That you know, it's not like she had a, a arm coming out of her head. Yeah, I thought she was gonna be like an F or something when they when they said that but she yeah they did a pretty good job um speaking of lines that we really liked Corey too i liked in the end when they everything was solved and kirk and spock were talking and kirk was like oh this seems like a emotional response to everything and spock said there's no reason to insult me captain i thought this thing whole <laughs> thing was very logical so yeah that I was good that was pretty hilarious also, I hate to say this, but Grace Lee Whitney died in 2015. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have the heart to tell you that she's oh. dead. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, Emily. I, I thought that everyone <laughs> I, that was on TV in the 60s was still alive. George Decay's still kicking, right? Yeah, so is William Shatner. 
Yeah, there's a couple of them still around. Nimoy's dead. Um, I think the uh, Scotty guy's still alive, isn't he? No, you told me his ashes went on the space station. I think you told me that. You, James. <laughs> what? Yeah. I told you that? No, James texted that to both of us. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember. James like Tuhan? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, and then so just one question I wanted to ask you guys while we wrap up this episode, but do you think the pilot, I mean, they kind of did this as a desperation move. What do you think, Emily? Do you think this was a good enough episode to reincorporate into the first season? Yeah, you know, I didn't love the cage, but I I loved the framing on this. I love the world building that you brought up. I thought they did a really good job of not tipping their hand, which is something that we've critiqued in past episodes. And if you were watching this without having seen The Cage, like that is a tight episode all on its own. Mm -hmm. They cut out a lot of fluff. They did some editing. I I think it actually works really well with my asterisk about complaining about ableism. Yeah. Yeah, but I agree with you too. I think this was a good episode. I think the pilot was a good episode, so I think it was worth it bringing it back into the main series. I like the concepts of it, some of the the issues it raised. I think it comes to the wrong conclusions about those uh, issues, but I thought it was a good enough episode to to you know take the pilot and then put it back into the series. Corey, what say ye? Uh, like it was, it was. Fine. I feel like they had some really cool stuff at the at the top of it, uh, with with mm-hmm. Spock being a, a little a tricksy little bastard. Um, and I thought it was like I thought that the way that we got to the court martial was really cool. I was a little bit misguided, I think, on what this episode was going to be like in terms of how it was going to be paced and how mm-hmm. how how they were going to tell the story because I was basing it all on that Futurama episode. Uh, where they retell the story, <laughs> but like everybody like takes a turn in the box, and I know that that's a joke, but uh-huh. I thought Pike was going to be telling his story, and we were gonna like, z- you know, it was gonna fade out to like what he was telling us, and then we would come back, and there'd be more like, like intrigue and like lies, and, and I thought there was gonna be more time spent in the courtrooms, and I was I was just a little bit annoyed that I had to watch the same episode again, but that was nobody's fault. It worked. It was fine. The ending was sloppy. I thought it was I thought it was a pretty good episode. I do agree with you. Like the the start was like so promising and it had like so much intrigue with you know Spock going rogue and it moved so fast. And I was I was really hopeful for this episode. I liked it overall. But yeah, but then when we started getting into the court martial, I felt like it just like stepped in concrete and then the episode kind of just halted. And I guess it halted so it could tell this other story, but from before the court martial started, I thought this episode was really great and it was really awesome. And then it kind of slowed down a bit. So that would be my only criticism of this episode. Yeah. You know, I'll, I will not disagree with that. Cool. The end. All right, guys. Well, that's our episode. So until we see you next time, keep on trekking.